We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Blue Wire. First pick in the 1991 NBA draft, the Charlotte Hornets select Larry Johnson from University of Michigan. I'm not supposed to be here, man. A lot of people from where I'm from, so don't, don't make it. Charlotte, we're back. All right. Welcome into another BuzzBeat, a Charlotte Hornets podcast. This is Richie, and you can follow me on Twitter at Richie Randall. You can follow the podcast at BuzzBeatPod on Twitter. I was going to do a post-game Twitter spaces for this episode, but because of the results and the performance and because UNC and Duke play tonight, I figured the turnout wouldn't be that great. Hornets just lost 144-114 to the 76ers in Philadelphia on this matinee game here on Saturday, April 2nd. I am recording this on Saturday, but you guys are probably listening to this on Monday. So some things have happened between now and then, but my conversation is going to be on a couple of things here. I want to give my general thoughts from this game that just ended against the 76ers. I want to get to the final four games of the season and potential tiebreakers as the Hornets are battling for seeding and you know the scenarios and who they can play. And if there's time, I do have a couple of Q&As from listeners that I would like to get to. Uh, Brian and Spencer actually did a post-game Twitter spaces after the Knicks win on Wednesday, but unfortunately due to some technical issues, we were unable to turn that into a podcast. So even more reason to join those Twitter spaces just in case something goes wrong on the back end of the technical side. And as always, before we start... I want to ask you guys a question. If you've given us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, that's great. If so, you guys are doing awesome. If not, we still love you guys. We love the support. But the best way to support us, because we don't have a monetary way for you guys to do that right now, is to take out 30 seconds out of your day and give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. We love reading those uh, as they come up and pop up in our feed. All right, let's get to the game that just went final between the Hornets and the 76ers. As I said, the Hornets lost 
by 30 points, 144-114. Heading into this game, you truly recognize the competing styles of play between the Hornets and the 76ers. 76ers want to slow the game down. They want to beat you in the half court with Embiid, with Harden. They have a methodical way of playing. The Hornets typically aren't successful if they get into a half-court game like that. They've got to create turnovers. They've got to get out and run. And if they can't do that, uh, they're probably not going to put themselves in a position to where they uh, are going to be successful and give themselves a chance to win. And obviously, the the idea of guarding and bead is always a difficult one for any team, but especially for the Hornets, who have really not had many answers for him over the past couple of years. So what you have to do for the Hornets is throw extra bodies at him, dig down on him when he's in the post. And that happened a couple of times where they got steals. They, they dug down and, and got a steal and transition offense the other way. But you've also got to hope that the others don't beat you. And when the other players start to beat the Hornets outside of Embiid, uh, that's when it goes downhill. Like if you can't slow down Embiid, that's one thing. But if you can't make the correct rotations and get out to shooters from deep, Joe is fully capable of making those passes out of the post. We saw Tobias Harris start off the game really, really hot. And I think he started like three of three from deep in that first quarter. You had uh, Thibel who did well from behind the arc. Like everyone was getting in on the act and the 76ers were 21 of 43 from deep. That's 49% for those of you that can't do the math like I can right away. I just think that the pace itself in this game was not where it needed to be outside of a small little stretch in the second quarter. In the second quarter, the Hornets created turnovers they got out to a 10 nothing run to where they tied the game up. And like, I think it was like 38-38. And like I said, they, they forced a few and they got things going their way. But the third quarter was really when it was depressing to watch. The lead expanded fairly quickly for Philly. Offense for Charlotte was very sluggish. They had some turnovers that led to the Sixers pushing their their pace and pushing their lead out to 20 plus points. Uh, Like I mentioned, the three point shot was really falling for the Sixers in that quarter and they were just nailing everything and the effort to get out to shooters was not there. It was very deflating to see the Hornets for half a possession kind of rotate and in battle, I guess if you want to call it that, but then for the second half of the possession, it just seems like the way that they swung the ball around, the 76ers were able to get open looks from three, uh, and they were making them. I think maybe you you hope that in a series with 76ers that the other, t- the other players don't get hot from three and you just have to live with Joel Embiid. Yeah, I thought Embiid was good today against the Hornets, but I don't think he necessarily was overpowering in terms of his scoring. Yes, he was 12 of 16 for... Uh, 29 points tonight, but the six assist is really what is going to get you into trouble. So it is a difficult matchup when you go up against Embiid. And like I mentioned before, the Hornets truly never have had a true um, stopper against Embiid. You're going to have to throw extra bodies, maybe play zone, 
try to clog up the paint as much as you can. But to me, in this game, if the Hornets don't create turnovers, they aren't going to get out. And that's where they succeed the most. That's where they excel the most is when they can get out in transition. And outside of that small little stint in the second quarter, it didn't feel like that they could get the offense going. And and give credit. Give credit to the 76ers as well for playing at a methodical pace, frustrating the Hornets to where uh, they couldn't find that groove. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Let me run through some player performances real quick before I get to the second half of the pod. Not a lot stood out to me in terms of individual performances. Uh, Miles Bridges, he played in 30 minutes tonight, today, I guess I should say, 20 points, 6 of 12 from the field. I would need to look this up, but I feel like there's a pretty good chance that he's getting to the line at a greater rate than normal, maybe like in the past 10 games or so. He had 10 free throw attempts against the 76ers. He's not afraid to drive, take on the contact, and force the issue. He has that bully ball tactic that we've seen throughout the course of this season kind of expand in front of our eyes. I thought he had a solid game. LaMelo Ball, he reached a milestone in this game, converting his 200th three-pointer. With that, he became the youngest player in NBA history to reach that milestone. P.J. Washington, I thought that was a solid solid game for him, more so early in this game. Can't take too much away from this game, probably from the third quarter on, midway through. It was garbage time, and not a lot you can take, and not a lot of players played well, and you know they couldn't string together possession after possession after possession. And so when I say P.J. Washington had a, a solid game in the first half, I, I think that probably applies to many different players. He had a good... Good corner three in the first quarter where he caught a pass from LaMelo, I believe, and he was like backpedaling to the corner, and he caught it all in one motion and went up for that corner three, 
and to be aware of your surroundings, to get your feet down behind the arc, but also in bounds is something that's difficult. He also had an awesome drive against Harden in the first half where he took one jab step to the left, drove to the right, and even though he got Harden off balance, you have Embiid that's waiting to come over and block it, and he got up that shot very, very quick, caught the ball off the the bounce, almost like a, a short hop in in baseball where he dribbles it, catches it almost immediately off it hits the floor and just goes straight up to make that, that basket. So PJ Washington finished with 14 points, six of 10 shooting. And then you had Gordon Hayward who came back. He did not start. He was on a minutes restriction, only played 17 minutes uh, in Philadelphia, two of six from the field, pretty nondescript game for Hayward. He had this nice driving fake pull-up mid-range shot where he dished it to Montrez, I think using his ability to get inside the paint, but also the threat of that mid-range pull-up, which he is so inclined to do at times. He used that to his advantage. I think it's good that you're seeing Hayward play now instead of maybe the last game of the season or the second to last game of the season. I don't think anyone was expecting him to come in and one, play the minutes that he's used to, but two, to have the effect that he normally does. So if you can start to ramp up his play, get him some minutes here and there, I'm fully okay with him coming off the bench. Maybe that changes for the playoffs, but I think it's a good sign that he's playing now, even if it didn't result in a positive, meaningful, impactful game right out of the gates. He's got to work his way up to playing and and being in basketball shape, playing with these guys again, and you know, having him play the last game of the season right before the play-in tournament probably doesn't do you much good. So I'm glad that he is healthy and healthy enough to play 17 minutes. Again, he didn't make that big of an impact tonight, which was somewhat to be expected. Quickly run down some of these other players. Rozier, shot was off again today. He had a three-pointer at the end of the third quarter when the game was out of hand. But outside of that, there was nothing going on for him. I mentioned him being an X-factor with P.J. Washington on a recent episode. And I think, I do think the Hornets have little chance to win if if one or both of those guys don't have their A game. And his three-point shooting has been so big for the Hornets and his gravity. He was one of five. And I think that's just, it's just not going to get it done. He had, he had several steals, which was nice. Five steals to be exact. I just looked that up. But if you can't get that scoring outburst from Rozier, it puts a lot of pressure on LaMelo and PJ and Miles and Martin to an extent, Gordon Hayward to score the basketball. Yeah, I think the X factor, it feels like Rozier, it kind of fits that bill a little bit. We also got Cody Martin, who I thought played very well, even though he had eight points. Again, it's not about the points, the five assists, the four rebounds the two steals. He was a big part of that run in the second quarter. He had this one steal where he was falling out of bounds, had a behind the back pass, and then got back up on the sideline and rushed up the court for a transition bucket. I think he's an important player moving down the stretch. And something that is interesting that you're probably going to start noticing is how Borrego uses these rotations and how he's planning for the playoffs and planning for the play. And I guess you got to get to the play in first and then the playoffs they've, they've clinched a spot in the play in, but 
I guess what I'm getting at is who who is the guy that is going to be kind of cut out of the rotation as Hayward is back healthy and as the rotations start to shrink. I mentioned that when I was predicting the playoff rotation from a question from one of our listeners that Jalen McDaniels was the guy that seems to me because of the way that he's playing currently, not because I think that his skills aren't valuable moving forward, but I just think that the run of games that he's had recently has not been great. And if you take this as any indication of the way that he played tonight, having only played seven minutes, all of that coming in the second half when the game was over, that probably indicates that he is the guy that's going to be cut back out of the rotation. And again, Kelly Oubre is that swing guy. Whether or not he can have a good game, is he going to be impactful coming off the bench? Maybe you can make the case that if, if Oubre is not making his threes, what does he offer more than Jalen McDaniels? I, I would, I'm right there with you. But uh, for whatever reason, I, I get the sense that the coaching staff are going to try Kelly Oubre time and time again before they try Jalen McDaniels, whether that's right or wrong. So uh, that is the one guy to kind of keep an eye on. I think that Jalen McDaniels will, st- will start to see less time if any time at all. All right, let's get to some big picture stuff. I wanted to run a couple things by you guys as I'm going through this recording. And I first wanted to talk about the tiebreaker for seating purposes. At the time of this recording, which is April 2nd in the afternoon, Hornets currently have a record of 40 and 38. Both the Hawks and the Nets play tonight at 730. By the time you're listening to this, you would have known the result. They are both currently tied at 40 and 37. So after the game, one of them will be at 40 and 38, while the other will be at 41 and 37. When it comes to the two-way tiebreaker head-to-head matchup, the first tiebreaker is always the win-loss in those games against each other. So Charlotte is 2-1 and one against Brooklyn, 2-2 two and two against Atlanta, 2-2 two and two versus Cleveland. If Cleveland were to ever drop that far, which I just don't think is going to be the case, but I'll, I'll throw their name in there as well. Charlotte would hold the tiebreaker over the Nets. Atlanta would hold the tiebreaker over the Hornets because of the divisional record. And if the Hornets somehow, like I said, caught the, the Cavs, the Hornets would probably actually have the edge over the Cavs based on the wins that the Hornets would gain and the losses that the Cavs would accumulate conference record would come into play with both of those teams and the Hornets would have a better record there considering that to catch them, they would win a couple of conference games as the Cavs would lose a couple of conference games. Now there's always a chance for a three-way tie and that's going to complicate things, but it's the same concept. Best win percentage among the three teams involved gets the nod. So if it's a three-way tie between Cleveland, Atlanta, and the Hornets, the Hawks would win out because they have a 5-3 and three record versus Charlotte and Cleveland. If there's a three-way tie between Atlanta, Brooklyn, and the Hornets, tonight's game, Saturday night, between those two teams will decide it. If the Hawks win versus Brooklyn, the Hornets will now hold the three-way tiebreaker between those three teams. If the Nets win tonight, the Nets will hold the three-way tiebreaker. So we'll know the results of this as you guys are listening to this likely on a Monday, but this gets me to my next point. And I'd love to pose this question to you, the listener as well. For the sake of the Hornets, does it make more sense 
for the Hawks to win tonight against the Nets, and that somehow gives the Hornets an advantage in a three-way tie situation, or would you rather just the Nets win the game on Saturday and then create that tie with the Hawks? I guess you're assuming that the Nets propel themselves above the Hornets anyway, and the Hornets will be battling the Hawks, and you want to make sure that the Hawks are falling behind the Hornets, so a loss tonight would have a or would help achieve that. I know this is kind of a confusing way to think about it, but I can see a benefit into both of these avenues. I think if you somehow believe that there's going to be a chance for a three-way tie, then clearly you would root for the Hawks to win against the Nets. But I think, in my opinion, that it would be better if the Nets won and give the Hornets a little bit of wiggle room as they head down the stretch for these final four games. I'm not holding out any hope that there's a three-way tie, so that's number one. Number two, because the Hawks hold the tiebreaker over Charlotte, I would want to avoid that two-way tie. So if the Hornets get in a situation where they're chasing the Hawks in the standings, and then they finally catch up to them on the last game of the season by tying the Hawks, at that point it doesn't matter because Hawks hold the tiebreaker of the Hornets. And so this discussion leads us into the play-in where the most likely situation probably could occur And if you're going to prefer one team over the other and how that's going to look, I think in terms of preferred matchup in the play-in, the Hornets are, yes, yes, the Hornets are two and one against this team, but I I think the goal is to avoid Brooklyn. Obviously, you want to get as high a seeding as you can with being the eight seed. You at least get two cracks at the thing. But Kyrie isn't going to have another game like he did a week ago against Charlotte when he shot below 40% from the field. He went one of nine from deep. I can't imagine you're going to get that Kyrie in a play-in setting. Then you have Durant, one of, if not the best all-around scorers in the NBA. And I'm not entirely sure what you're going to get out of Ben Simmons, who I personally think is just a tad, tad overrated. Regardless, they're, they're not a team that you would like to face. Now, if you happen to be the eighth seed and they're the seventh seed, which that would mean the Cavs somehow drop below, yeah, that that would be awesome to kind of have two cracks at the thing. And ideally, that's probably where you would want to end up. But I don't think the path to getting to that spot is going to be easy. So when it comes to realistic paths, when it comes to preferred matchups, to me, the best, most positive outcome for the Hornets to do as they are, they've got the heat left, the magic, the bulls and the wizards. If they can get into the ninth seed where they will have a home game against the 10th seed, whoever that may be in all likelihood, the Hawks, then you set yourself up for a home game there where your hope is obviously to win that game. And then on the other side, with that 7-8 game, you're hoping that the Cavs lose out to the Nets and then the Hornets get a chance to go into the playoffs by beating the Cavs. Yes, they would go on the road in Cleveland, but Cavs are a team that are limping towards the end of the season, mostly due to injury, mostly due to some of their, 
uh, defensive regression, I guess you could call it, in the past 22 games, I believe, as of today. They're 8-14. and 14. So if you want to face Cleveland, now would now would be the time. So I think that's the most preferred slash realistic way for Charlotte to get into the playoffs. That's why when looking at tonight's game between the Nets and the Hawks, I think the hope is that you would want the Nets to win so you're not having to chase the Hawks because realistically, if you're chasing the Hawks, if you're one game behind, you're really two games behind because you got to get ahead of them uh, when it comes to the tiebreaker. Now, <laughs> if you're chasing the Hawks and then somehow at the end of the season, the Nets, the Hornets, and the Hawks all end up with the same record, then yes, the Hornets would own that tiebreaker because of that that win on Saturday. But there's so many, so many paths that this can take. I just... The, the most likely path is probably going to be at that ninth seed, and that's going to give the Hornets the best shot, I would think, uh, to make it into the playoffs. All right, let me get to one question from a listener, Daniel Tapp, and I'll talk about this briefly because I'm sure this is a topic of discussion that will come towards the offseason as well. Should the Hornets look to retain... IT or Harold this offseason, would you move Ubre in order to make room to resign Cody Martin to a new new deal? So very interesting question. A lot of moving parts to this question. I don't know if he's combining both of these to make them one and kind of interchange the talking points here. Let's start with the Ubre part. And when he says move Ubre, I'm not sure if he means via trade or if he just means to waive Ubre, because Ubre does have a partially guaranteed contract next season. They recently came out with the projections for the NBA salary cap uh, for the 22-23 season. That happens to be at $122 million, I believe. So if you're trying to finagle the monies, they can save about $7.5 million by waiving Ubre if they can do that prior to June 30th when his contract becomes fully guaranteed. Now, it comes down to where you would want to spend the money. Do you value Ubre enough to keep him, or do you think the Hornets have enough wings that can replace his value? Personally, after just kind of giving this a little bit of thought here, I think Ubre helped himself out at the beginning of the season but his recent stretch towards the end of the season hasn't been all that promising. So if you're going by kind of like a recency bias here, I think the idea that Ubre's guaranteed, partially guaranteed contract is a sure thing next year probably has taken a dip. The Hornets have Hayward, they have Bridges, they have PJ, they have JT Thor, if you believe he can make an impact. Next season, you've got McDaniels, who's also on a partial guarantee, all battling for minutes at that wing slash forward spot. And so if you think that those handful of players can get it done and you think that by letting Ubre go and waving him and using his $7.5 million is more valuable elsewhere, I do kind of like that idea of using that money on a backup point guard or a center if you want to bring back IT or Harrell, maybe you look to go this route if you're kind of dead set against going against Ubre. 
I guess the next question becomes, do you think that IT can be a full-time backup point guard, or is he just too limited in what he can do? He's too situational. I think his veteran presence, as we see him on the sidelines, being overly vocal, it's awesome to see that. And I think uh, many of the young players have taken to him. And using him as more than just that is another question in and of itself. So, yes, he's done it for a stretch here, but can he do it for a full season? He'd certainly be cheaper than Harrell, although I think Harrell can be more useful. So I guess it just depends on how they want to use the money, how they are planning for the draft, which is really never something that you can truly predict, especially if you're not picking you know, in the top two or three. Things change as it gets lower towards uh, the lottery. And then he mentioned Cody Martin as well in terms of uh, getting rid of Oubre for Martin. I've always been resigned to the fact that he wasn't coming back, but I guess you never know. I'm a fan of Martin. I mean, you saw against the 76ers that he was making plays on the defensive side of the court. I guess what I'm getting at is that Oubre has become more expendable than I originally thought. And I like, I don't know if like's the right word. I've, I've opened up to the idea of waving him to free up some space to bring back IT or to bring back Cody Martin, or to see if, you know, maybe the monies with Harold might be too tough, but he can kind of fit this category as well. So I've got to sit down and look deeper into the financials. And this is a good question that we'll probably talk about closer to the off season and closer to free agency. But I think it's a viable option to wave Ubre and obviously Plumley too, who we signed over this past off season. He also, has a partial guarantee on his contract. I don't think is it's as much as Ubre's, but I think you know at the start of the season for Ubre, you would not consider this. I think now the way that he's played and you kind of get in the full picture of his full season and, and the inconsistency of his play, it's it's an option now. All right, so I'm going to go ahead and wrap here, and as always. Uh, give us a rating and review on Apple Podcast and Spotify. That's the best way to help us. We appreciate all the support so far. I know that the Hornets could have done better against the 76ers, made it a little bit more competitive. Obviously, the first half was a five-point game, and I think that third quarter just killed them. Yeah, so they're going to be battling for these last four games. Two games are winnable with the Magic and the Wizards. Two games which are going to be a little bit more difficult with the Miami Heat and the Bulls. I think you've got to hope that they steal one of those games and finish the season three and one. And that would put them in a good position potentially to finish ninth, maybe versus 10th. I think if you finish 10th, it's going to be an uphill battle. You need that home game. So, all right, guys, have a good Monday and I will talk to you guys later. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about, but why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, the trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. 
Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.